0: Welcome to the second episode of StateofSecurity.com's podcast. A few weeks ago, I was able to get together with a couple of great friends of mine, Mark Tamalo and Kevin Flanagan, and we had a great talk about mentoring and introducing younger folks to the information security uh, profession. And it was a fantastic uh, warm afternoon. We had a, a very fun conversation. I hope you'll enjoy it. Uh, for those of you who listened to episode one, we essentially have switched the audio capture mechanism. Hopefully, this will be a little smoother, and we continue to work on refining some of the uh, volume and podcast uh, capture issues. But I think you will, uh, I think you'll enjoy this episode. It's very casual, and uh, I think you will really dig the content. And it's great for sharing with younger folks that are considering getting into the business. So. Uh, Without further ado, I will get to this episode. As always, thanks for listening, and be sure to check out stateofsecurity.com. Take care. It's a wonderfully warm afternoon, and I've got two of my good friends with me. Uh, Let me have them introduce themselves. So I'll start first with Mark. Tell us a little bit about yourself, Mark. Hey, Brent. I'm Mark Tamalo.
1: I'm the CEO of Panopticon Labs. I've got about 16 years in the information security um, and risk industry. And what does Panopticon do? So uh, information security fraud risk for online and mobile game industry, so video game security.
0: That's very cool, man. Very cool. So tell me a little bit about your background. Where did you come from?
1: So, I originally started a company here in Columbus in 1998. uh, Fell into a security project um, that happened to deal with porn, insider trading. The FBI was involved, and so I said, "Hey, if this is information security, I am in with uh, both feet." And so, very different than um, you know, kind of the Y two K buildup and the programming and the networking that um, that I had traditionally you know, been exposed to. So that was my first foray in information security. And since then I've worked with some amazing people on some great projects, Um, you know, large scale penetration testing, social engineering, and, uh, you know, computer forensics were really kind of the, the sweet spots.
0: That's a pretty diverse background. Fantastic. Thanks for joining us, Mark. Thanks. I also have with us Kevin. Tell us a little bit about yourself.
2: Thanks for having me, Brent. Uh, Kevin Flanagan. I've been in the uh, information security industry for about 17 years. The last, I can't believe it's been 10 already, have been with RSA, Security Division of EMC. And for RSA, I run the uh, North American uh, Sales Engineering Organization. Uh, Prior to that, I'd spent a couple of years, actually, on the other side of the table, uh, running IT risk management program for BMW Financial Services and also held other positions um, in product or service provider organizations over the past uh, 22 plus years in my, in my professional career. It's been a great
0: ride so far. So we got uh, about three old guys from InfoSec <laughs> <laughs> sitting around and we're gonna attempt to talk to younger folks today and uh, hopefully explain to them some of the positives and negatives of choosing InfoSec as a career. So, Mark, let's kind of start with you. You you touched a little bit on the idea that you had an initial case, and that got you into InfoSec. Tell me more about it and tell the listeners, what made you choose InfoSec as a career?
1: Well, I think it was my first... Uh... You know, this was 1999, uh, early 2000 time frame. And so, you know, a lot's changed um, from case law to chain of evidence from a digital perspective. So, you know, back then, I mean, looking back now, we were all pretty naive in terms of what was actually taking place um, and what actually the company wanted done, right? Get this person out of our network. They happen to be running uh, the largest or one of the largest porn um, sites in North America off of this corporate production network. And so, you know, the idea of, it was my first understanding that good people were, were on the hook because some really bad people were, you know, using cycle times, were using storage, were, um, you know, doing something they shouldn't. So it was kind of, I, I really like that good versus evil. We are going after bad guys. We are going after criminals and um, kind of, you know, get on the forensic trail, kind of get on the hunt for what, um, you know, for what this
0: company needed. So that, that I was kind of hooked right there. So is it the dynamism of it that keeps you hooked on it? Or do you really uh, just kind of enjoy the good versus evil dichotomy?
1: Um, I mean, when you look at some of the, the smartest people I've ever seen are in this industry. I mean, the idea that you're going to take a technology that was built for something, a specific purpose, uh, break it, re-engineer it, find something to be done with it that it that it shouldn't be used for or wasn't originally intended or purposed. I, I really like that aspect of it. I mean, the 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 good versus evil is one piece of it. Um, the intelligence that comes with dealing with um, Organized crime fractions with technical geniuses in how they build and how they tear apart some of the technologies. That's always really interests me because, unlike Kevin, unlike you, that's not my background at all. I that is um, fairly far fetched from my mind to work like that. I come at it from the business side, the sales side, and you know there is a real market that needs to be served here. So that whole you know, that whole idea of wow this is cool uh, still resonates you know after almost you know almost 18 20 years of kind of being around this stuff
0: and Kevin same kind of question to you how did you get involved and tell us what keeps you here yeah so <clears throat> I started out as a software developer right, writing code and uh, in fact, I started
2: writing embedded code where you have a very finite set of resources that you have to be very efficient about you know, developing software for. Um, you know, the chase for perfection in that and writing perfect code was was interesting, mm-hmm. but not something that I was incredibly passionate about. In fact, I enjoyed understanding how things break uh, more than how to write something that was going to, to stand the test of time. Um, that coupled with the fact that I worked for several service providers that you know were kind of on the forefront of of large-scale you know connectivity uh on a global scale uh kind of through the whole idea that somebody could be attacking our resources in say columbus ohio from halfway across the world and i found that fascinating Uh, so that got me into you know one niche in the uh in in the security space but then as i got into it and started understanding just the scope the scope of security uh it, it really started to to mirror my personality which is i i I, I get bored fairly easily, right, for one thing. And uh, when you start to understand security and all the different elements that it touches, it, it talks about people, right? Um, when I was starting you know, my college career, I, I was looking at you know, potentially majoring in psychology, but I chose computer science uh, partially because you can get a job after a four-year degree, and I didn't want to go through multiple uh, you know, rounds of, of you know, master's degrees, et cetera, as well as the fact that um, it, it paid pretty well at the time and I had a passion for for writing software. But when you look at security, it it talks about people, it talks about systems, it talks about processes, and then we even get into what the systems are. One day it could be software issues, the next day it could be network problems, crypto architecture, it's just such a broad range. And, uh, And call me a glutton for punishment though, the one thing that I really love about security is that it continuously changes and it's not a solvable problem. So every day, it's something new. And when you get something figured out, uh, chances are the world's changed underneath you. And now you got to refigure what you just learned and and, take a different approach to solving those problems.
0: So I'm a builder,
2: I'm not a maintainer. So you're always building in information security.
0: So it's interesting to me that both of you came from different backgrounds, passed through sort of a sales and marketing mechanism. And ended up in InfoSec. One of the things that has come sort of to fruition in our industry in the last couple of years is really how critical communication is. So if you think about that and have that in mind, what would you advise folks who are looking at coming into InfoSec? What would you tell them to do to prep for that part of the job?
1: I'll, I'll jump, I'll, I'll start and then Kevin can jump in. Because Kevin, I think, really mentioned it. Um, the idea of dealing with people. I mean, there's always, you know, we all run across the stereotypical technical person who, um, you know, would rather sit in the cubicle or in the basement and never talk to anybody. I, I think those individuals are fewer and farther between these days because the idea that um, the security or risk or um, compliance or assurance function, whatever it's called in organizations today, um, has to be able to communicate some sort of value, in regardless of the industry and regardless of where you sit. The, the only question is to what detail and to what level. So that that's I think the communication piece is probably um, you know an area where a lot of us need to a lot of us need to work and you know, focus on.
2: Yeah. And, and I think Mark, you touched on it. When you talk about value, um, you know, the value that you're bringing when you offer up expertise, guidance, or whatever to, uh, to the people that you're talking to. And the one thing, when I start to think about communication, you know, I have conversations with people, you know, at the C level within organizations, also all the way down to, to the new guy, who's, you know, a level one analyst and, uh, and then I have to have conversations with you know either sales or marketing people that, that aren't as familiar with information security. And each one of those, even even in those different areas, may have different needs or, or background. So the one, if I had one piece of advice that I'd offer anybody, especially when it comes to communication, is uh, before you launch into you know describing what it is you're working on or or what you can offer somebody, ask them a question and find out what drives them or, or what's or what they know about about you know the information security industry or what, what's important to them, right? And then if you don't know what's important to that person, then you can drive a more collaborative communication and connect with them. So it's all about you know, understanding what that connection is to what that person's looking for in terms of value in a
0: relationship. And that's a great point. Uh, thank you guys for sharing. Uh, as you kind of think about InfoSec and the way your career has gone over time, what are the things that you really like best about that choice? We'll start with Kevin. Yeah. So the best thing that I love
2: about I mean, there's two things that I, I really like about information security. And I already mentioned the first one. It's not a solvable problem. Right. You don't get to the end of it. And and what cracks me up is is when you know my dad, you know, he come home and he's like, "We got to get some security on, on my box," you know, on my on my, on my uh, PC. I'm like, well, it's not just a thing you install and you're done with it. Or even sometimes you, know, you might have uh, you know, high-level C members of the organization saying, are we secure or not? And it's, it's not a yes or no. It's not a solvable problem. It's something that you have to manage your risk. And I think that, that challenge makes it incredibly in- interesting. Um, what, what I really like about InfoSec right now and whether it's good or bad is the fact that it's, it's incredibly relevant. I mean, if you look at what's going on in the news today and you look, you know, what's just come out this week with, with you know, the White House putting together a committee on, on, uh, you know, on the, the whole cyber security issue, whether or not, you know, it's a positive or negative thing is to be debated. But at the end of the day, this is very relevant to, to all, you know, people on a personal level, as well as businesses, as well as, you know, just preserving, you know, our, our our economic engine here in the U.S. So uh, the fact that it's relevant, uh, also I've got a lot of skills in this area, and it's not a solvable problem. You know, I, I love being just in this specific industry.
1: Yeah, I would. I would just say uh, I kind of touched on a little bit about kind of that good versus evil, that chess match of you know where are the bad people, what are they doing, what are they coming after. Um, you know, money and assets that organizations have from an intellectual property. You know, important assets can be anything. It can be people, it can be buildings, it can be um, data, you know, it can actually be money. So I really like, you know, to, to me, that's, that's a great piece. And then I touched on before just the people within the industry um, from an intelligence perspective, from a pro- professionalism perspective. I mean, there's a lot of smart people that you get to interact with, and I, I really like that aspect of it.
0: I think one of the things that I love about the business is that there's never a day that's like any other. It's uh, definitely not a get up and do the same thing kind of uh, job, and I love that. I love how dynamic it is. I love how it pushes people, and I love how it's constantly changing environment with really high impact across a whole bunch of the different parts of life. And yeah. so I really enjoy that part of it. I would ask that you also share some of the negative things that are out there about InfoSec. We hear a lot about the rock star mentality. We hear a lot about the echo chamber, but tell me from the where you guys sit, what are the negatives to choosing this as a career? Um, I'll jump in and uh, start with that. And being part of
2: a vendor, I'm going to you know, criticize you know, the, the community that I come from. But there is so much noise in the vendor and consulting community. And in an absence of you know a specific path to take to solve problems, a lot of people come out and and, you know, give advice that may not be the right advice or because they have a product that is you know, has some sort of technology in it that has solved, you know, one specific use case, promoting that as the, you know, the silver bullet, so to speak, to solve a problem. And that noise and someone pushing their agenda of, of selling a product overshadows the right thing to do um, for each individual organizations. So I think a lot, a lot of, you, know, you you pick up, you know, like an SC magazine or, or a CSO magazine, and a lot of the articles are specifically around technology. And I think we've gotten to the point and in a lot of cases when I read blogs, in fact, I think I've stopped reading the majority of blogs out there. Um, it, just because they, they focus on, you got a problem, here's the technology tool to solve that problem. Where at the end it's, it's about, understanding the people and the information you're trying to protect and what brokers the relationship between the two and that could be you know changing people's behaviors introducing a new process and then maybe if it makes sense implementing technology i think we have a technology addiction and i think uh, even though you know part of my job is to facilitate the sale of that technology um, i want to make sure we do it where it makes sense for for the customers that we're supporting
1: yeah, I think that's, uh, those are good points. The, from a corporate perspective, um, and I've had the, the opportunity and, to work for some large organizations, but in, in some organizations, not all of them, uh, a lot of times information security or risk, it's looked at as a cost center. And I mean a, a true, how do we, what's the least we can spend? What's the least we can do to get a check mark and I think that comes from probably a, a greater concern that I have of um, the regulatory, the compliance, the audit functions within organization, the legal side of things, I think have shaped many information security programs. And you know, this is my opinion, it just, it doesn't work. I mean, it's you, know, you can take any of the breaches, the larger breaches over the past three, four or five years a lot of them were in highly regulated um, industries. And there, obviously there's no guarantee, but I think left to their own risk and security functions, I, in my experience, those teams make good decisions. Whether they can create that value and message it is still yet to be seen in our industry. But um, I guess the influence from a legal and regulatory and compliance side of things to to me, that's some of the thing. That's that's one aspect that uh, really frustrates me.
2: Yeah, and I agree with you, Mark. When you look at a lot of the breaches that have happened, or a lot of the issues, it's because those organizations were chasing you know compliance and chasing the checkbox, and they were operating under the threat of noncompliance and not the threat that somebody might come and take their information. And uh, yeah. when you look at, at regulatory requirements, they're typically based on some event that happened five or six years ago and the controls that were relevant five or six years ago for protecting against that threat. Well, things change, right? So my fear is that we're going to have more compliance and it's going to give another false sense of security. So yeah, that's definitely a a big problem that I see today. And it's a problem, gosh, we've been talking about that for 12, 13 plus years, ever since like GLBA,
0: you know, and and
2: SOX came out.
0: Yep. And I think um, part of what we get pushback from is from InfoSec folks, we're always telling management, the sky's falling, the sky is falling, and we want to run around and and spread fear about it. And we think that's going to cause change, but it really hasn't. It it really does come down to communicating value and uh, from a corporate sense, how making some of these investments make the business stronger over time. And I know, Kevin, you've been one of the Big proponents of that message. Uh, do you see that succeeding more today than it used to? I wish I could give you a positive news, Brent, but it's it's tough,
2: right? At the end of the day, you know, security is still one of those, or seen as one of those, not Mark call it a cost center, but looking at it from a software perspective, it's it's a non-functional requirement, right? It's one of those things like availability. You don't. You don't spend money on it or you don't invest the people and time unless you know, it becomes a problem. And I, what I've seen, I mean, we get involved in a lot of breaches, right? You know, 10% of which you hear on the news, the other 90% nobody even hears about. And, and when we get involved in those, um, you know, what ends up happening time after time, right? Somebody at the board level, the CFO, takes a stockpile of cash invests it in some sort of technology to either identify where the problem was, maybe a, you know, a quick fill some sort of gap that caused the breach to occur. But then over time the the wound heals so to speak and the pain goes away to basically these organizations revert back to where they were pre-breach with you know sloppy process and, and skimping in certain areas or doing things um, you know, the, the easy sort of way that ends up leading them to be vulnerable yet again. Um, and I think that comes down to, again, I can't emphasize enough, just changing the culture and getting people to buy into it and treating corporate information like their own. And, and would you do that if it was your own information in terms of how you're protecting it? So I wish I had positive news, uh, but it's, it's getting better, just not at the rate I think we would all like to see. We've been fighting this
0: battle for, goodness, 10, 12 years or so. And let's talk about, for just a second, the inbound conflict to our industry. We have bad guys recruiting young people for hacktivism, for crime, and we've got companies out there recruiting young people too. And those folks, in some cases, if you're a penetration tester, you've got to have a mix of those skills, a mix of those understandings. So you've got folks with deep-needing, excuse me, deeply technical skill sets, really digging in and focusing on nuanced problems. And yet somehow they also have to communicate value to the management and make these sort of um, empowering statements when they're really focused on breaking things. So if if you're looking at that and how young folks come into InfoSec What's your advice to them? How do they, from where they sit, decide whether or not they're going to pursue that black hat, gray hat kind of way or really focus on traditional business-focused skills associated with InfoSec? And I'll start with Mark on this because given your video game position, I'm really curious about how you feel about young folks' behavior And the way that that's kind of exploding
1: yeah so i would just um i mean the idea that you know you want to be on for most for most scenarios you want to be on the the right side of the law correct i mean it's back in the day when you know we were kind of faced with some of these challenges right there was the laws were it was kind of gray Right. I mean, you know, young people who were smart, who um, are on the Internet, the, the laws are ambiguous or they simply didn't even exist. Right. Um, if the Internet is for access and sharing, if I'm on the Internet and I get your information, am I am I stealing it? it? you know, it's it's there and you didn't put the controls in place. Right. I mean, young people can justify and back into whatever scenario, you um, to to justify what they're doing, and you know that's a that's a community that exists today. Um, case law is totally different these days. Companies, there is no tolerance um, for data for money that has been stolen. The days of get this person out of our network um, exist, but it's get this person out of our network, and we are going to press charges because. Fifty other companies have done this in one, and you know, again, back in the day, you you would you would get famous or notorious, um, and you could kind of parlay that into quote a real job. I don't think you can do that today. Um, to compare, you know, in comparison, and I'll bring this full circle with a, a real job or a corporate job or you know the money that's in the industry, right? Fines, notoriety prison time it's simply not worth it and so um, you could get away with one job you can get away with two jobs but the the reality is the good guys are getting a lot better at what they do and that has to be balanced with what if I went and either started my own company what if I went and uh, worked for the government what if I went and worked for a big corporation I mean security guys make good money I mean quarter of a million to a half million dollars at you know some positions that's a lot of you know that's a lot of hacking and one-offs to get to that spot on a consistent basis it's just to me it's not it's not worth it
0: i don't know about that man you hear these stories of folks selling billions of dollars worth of e-gold or some sort of world of warcraft stuff um what are the odds out there that young folks can steal that kind of money, get away with it over and over, versus um some of the liability issues and just general frustrations of the infosec community? I don't know what the odds are. Yeah. But,
1: but it's a lot better life on the other side of it. So it's <laughs> yeah. funny uh,
2: I don't want to be a proponent of going in that direction, but I think it's a, a lot less risky to be on the cyber evil than it is in the physical evil world in terms of risk of getting caught. Um, but, but with that said, I mean, it's hard to, for me to try and steer someone in, in an ethical direction, right? Those are things that, that people have to judge for themselves. And I think one thing that, that I think needs to be pointed out to a lot of people is that even though, you in your home office or your basement or your dorm room or even in a Starbucks and taking part in any sort of you know, criminal activity around cyber hacking isn't really a bad thing, but basically, you know, stealing information data over over a network. If you're into that type of activity, it is not a victimless crime, right? there are people on the other end of that connection. Um, You might think it's against a business or something like that, but there are people who, you know, lives could potentially be ruined because of the activity that you're taking part in. So just because, you know, you're, you're injecting a couple SQL commands or you're, you know, putting some sort of, of, you know, phishing kit or something out there to try and get passwords so you can wire funds. I mean, it's actually impacting people, right? It's not, a video game, and I think if you take into account that, then hopefully it steers you in the right direction of what's right as a as a human being here on this planet to you know do the right thing for yourself and then the rest of the people. If you look at like cyberbullying. Why has that become a problem? Because there's certain things that people will do in the anonymity of, of the internet that they would never do to someone face to face. So when you're sending an email, right, and this is more of a professional courtesy, right, if you're sending an email, think to yourself, would I say this to this person? The same with, you know, attacking a website. If I'm going to wire $500 or $5,000 out of someone's account, would I do this if if they were standing, you know, right in front of me and I was putting a gun to their head? Probably not, right?
0: But we've all been teenagers and all focused on nonconformity and just sort of general rascalism um how is that different than the cyber hacktivism stuff that happens today mark what's your take on this because you must see a lot of it in the video game world where it seems like play but at the same time it's crime
1: it it is crime and I, i mean from a video game perspective especially when you're talking about virtual currency, Um, the idea of how you move virtual currency is very similar to how you move real currency. And so, you know, Kevin kind of touched on it of, I could steal someone's elixir or sword or gold or whatever. Um, And that person may have worked really hard at that, at getting to that level, or they might have farmed that out to four people who played, you know, 160 hours straight to get to that level. The the point is, the screwing of the system, and kind of that rascalism. I mean, that's I think we've all been there, done that. Um, but as soon as you take that one step further, in terms of I'm stealing something that is not mine, whether it's uh, cash or data or intellectual property, now all of a sudden that's you know like Kevin said. I mean that. That puts a lot of pressure on a lot of different people from a, um, you know, kind of just a societal, what are you doing? Like, you know, why are you doing this just for some cash? Um, the, the cash, you know, Brent, you had thrown out a million bucks or whatever like that. It, it's not that good. I mean, it's good, but it's not that good. And to consistently do it over and over, um, you know, I mean, HACTIVIT is a different – Activism, I think, is, is really different than, um, kind of, the business end of it. I mean, there's an ideology there that is whether it's for two bucks or two hundred bucks or two hundred thousand bucks, I'm doing it because that's what I believe in, and I can, I can, cause effect, and I can cause change by doing something. Um, we saw a lot of that in the Occupy Wall Street movement, where it was just behind the scenes. You know, you see people protesting. But behind the scenes, it was a uh, all-out hackathon and denial of service to those organizations that were involved uh, in that. So I I think that ideology piece is a little bit different from a hacktivism uh, than the actual business of kind of that underground economy.
0: Kevin, do you want to weigh in on exactly what are some of those financial rewards What does it look like for a young person coming into the security world and moving through the ranks? Can you really get the level of financial security and stability that folks are seeking today in this kind of corporate environment?
2: Yeah, I mean... Well, I don't know what people are
0: seeking in today's corporate environment, but
2: whenever I talk to, in fact, I've got an interview in 20 minutes with somebody, but whenever I talk to prospective people who I want to bring on board here here at RSA, you know, yeah, there's obviously financial benefits and compared to most other industries, we mm-hmm. on a whole do very well. And I mean, where else can you make money by sitting there, if you're really good at this, breaking systems and get paid for it because someone's asking you to break stuff, right? Right. And part of the reason I got into software development is I wanted to write video games. But once I got onto the business side, I'm like, this is this is actually really cool because it's 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 a great interest in protecting an organization. But when you get into what are the benefits? Yeah, I mean, there's financial benefits, and, and it's all well and good. And you know, right now, if there's one area that you know, one one thing every that I consistently hear when I talk to to you know the largest companies in the world about their their cyber security issues i hear it over and over again there's just not enough good smart people so you take into the law of supply and demand um, lack of supply large demand for for people in these roles uh, obviously that's going to push the potential financial incentive of people up there right uh, but then i look at it from you know what are those intangible benefits that you get from from you know leading the, as one of my, one of the managers reports me said, leading the life of a pirate right here in the information security industry. And it's on the good pirate, right? Not the bad pirate side. Um, and that's, you know, like I said, th- this industry is relevant. It's, it's the bad versus evil. And when you find the bad guys before they're able to, uh, to you know, exfiltrate some data or, or shut down certain systems or you know, produce a material outage, that's incredibly exciting and uh, you know it's something that that it's fun to be a part of and and if you like a challenge I mean this is a challenge right every day if you like to learn uh, everybody who comes in and works in my organization is is learning something new every day so obviously there's a financial upside and and just given the demand I hear from from you know my customers is you know it's going to continue to trend upwards uh, in terms of the financial incentives but the the tangible benefits of, you know, being able to, to break systems and get paid for it or really have some really interesting conversations with Mark said, some of the brightest people that you know and learn from them, uh, you know, that's, that's one of the reasons I do it, right? It, it's so much fun to be a part of this that, um, yeah, the financial benefits, they, they come, but uh, just being part of this this amazing industry with the, these brilliant people who, who frankly share across industry, right? You've got you know, when I used to work at BMW, right? I'd call the guys at Volkswagen and we'd talk about the same kind of issues, right? It's just a, a collaborative environment of really smart people all facing the same things and, and it's rewarding.
0: Mark, let's um, talk a little bit about the outside of corporate environments. Um, what does the opportunity space look out out there? I know you're starting a company. I have. Of course, I've owned a 20-year InfoSec company, and I think the rewards are huge, and there's still a big opportunity for folks coming into the industry. But as a startup, what does that field look like right now for you?
1: Yeah, I, th- I think um, Kevin kind of hit on that skills gap, and I think when you when you phrase the question like that, I, there is no other place from a technical perspective Um that I would rather be, or that I would rather point new, young, technical-minded individuals than security. Maybe the analytics space um, from a data analytics, but that skills gap is real, and it's freaking a lot of companies out. As um, you know, over the next five to ten years, from a workforce perspective, so. Young individuals have a chance to enter the workforce, whatever size company, whether it's a startup like mine, whether it's a existing company like yours, or whether it's a giant, um, well renowned vendor like Kevin works for. They can enter the workforce with uh, opportunities that most of the couple generations before them didn't even have a didn't have a chance to do, um, or or have a chance to walk into. Um, so. With all of the benefits still there from uh, learning what how corporations work, and it doesn't matter what industry that you're in, that is beneficial for individuals to see how does business work. Whether you're manufacturing, whether you're healthcare, whether you're aerospace, the idea of how organizations make money is cool. Whether you're going to steal it, whether you're going to protect it, um, you gotta function in uh, the, the economy in some capacity. Um, so, you know, I guess the, to, to, to go back to kind of your question, right. Um, the idea of being a white hat, the idea of being a black hat, the idea of a startup mentality, um, or you're going to go and into a giant company and get trained and then get sick of it and then leave for more money because you want to rebel against the man. I mean, Every opportunity is out there because you are in information security. And on I, I would say on with this conversation, on the correct side of information security, um, the more you go into that um, dark side or down into the, the dark net, your options get a lot more limited because, um, you know, the high and the ego boost that you get from putting bad people away or stopping bad people i think is a lot better than the high you get from stealing anything um, or doing a job or whatever you want to call it without all the baggage and the crap that goes along with that you know that's great and that that um, endorphin rush lasts for a day maybe and then you're looking behind you you got to figure out, does anyone know what we just did? What if somebody rolls on you? As opposed to finding and putting people away, that's a great, I mean, that's a cool job. You want to talk about stroking your ego? Go find some really smart people or some really dumb people, depending on how you ask them or how you look (laughs) at them. And freaking watch those guys flounder and roll on their friends and cry and piss their pants. I mean, that's pretty cool.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Sorry, I got a little excited there. (laughs) No, I I think it's fantastic. And I thank you, gentlemen, for joining me. I've had the pleasure of knowing you both for more than 10 years. And I just continue to be impressed with how passionate you are about InfoSec and about helping others and young people. So thank you very much for joining us. Uh, Kevin, if... Folks want to find you out there. They want to hear more about what you do. How can they find you?
2: Yeah. So if uh, they want to find me, I mean, you can look me up on, on LinkedIn. Um, you know, One, one thing that, that I, one of the questions you had that you didn't ask is, is what would you do differently? I think, you know, one of the things I don't do enough of is uh, get out there, you know, in, in the blog sphere and, and post, you know, some of the thoughts that I have and some of the things that I've seen. So uh, keeping a low profile, uh, here at RSA but if you want to get a hold of me you can find me on LinkedIn it's Kevin Flanagan I'm the only one who works at RSA um, or if you want to shoot me an email it's K-F-L-A-N-A-G-A-N at rsa.com happy to talk with anybody like mine just sit down and chat about where this industry is going and what we can all do together to improve the situation as it is today
0: and Mark Tamala where can yeah, folks so, find you, and what are you focused on?
1: Yeah, so, so thanks, Brent. I appreciate it. You brought up uh, kind of the video game security a couple times. So uh, Panopticon Labs it has been around for about 18 months. Uh, they talk to about 50 different companies in the game space, in the game publisher space. The, the controls have typically focused on the endpoint, so the gamer endpoint, your mobile phone, your console, your PC, Um, or on the back end, so the credit card transaction processing. So um, these founders um, who started Panopticon Labs, they built a big data player modeling uh, behavioral analytic. So it behaviorally models players' um, in-game activities. And so from a player perspective, you've got a signature on how you play that game. And so if that deviates... Uh, it could show that account takeover is about to happen, Someone's starting to path your account or trying to level up, or um, an anonymous connection could mean that they are coming in to actually do bad things. And so from a player protection perspective, it's huge. From a um, publisher, game operator piece, it's um, you know huge revenue savings for them. As it gets filtered out the back door from, uh, from the underground. So huge. And uh, a lot, most of those companies are a little antiquated in some of their controls in the game. But um, you can find me on LinkedIn. You can find me at uh, Panopticon Labs. So it's market Panopticon Labs or www.savetheworlds.com.
0: I love the play. That's yeah, fantastic. That's fantastic. <laughs> Save the worlds. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> Well, gentlemen, thank you for joining me. I really appreciate it. And to listeners, as always, thanks for listening. We hope uh, you check out stateofsecurity.com. And until next time, stay safe out there. Thanks again for listening to the State of Security podcast. You can read more about uh, security information in the the podcast itself, as well as engage with folks in a blog format at stateofsecurity.com. Of course, this uh, episode is made possible by MicroSolved Inc. That's M-I-C-R-O-S-O-L-V-E-D, like ProblemSolved.com. Check us out on the web. We've got uh, more than 20 years' experience doing very, very interesting information security stuff, uh, whether it's assessments or, or tearing apart equipment and uh, applications in our security lab or helping folks with incidents or design policy and process Uh, Over the last uh, 20-plus years, we've done a lot of different things there, so be sure to check us out. That's Microsoft.com. And until next uh, episode of the podcast, you can always touch base with us on Twitter. We are at Microsoft or on personally at L-B-H-U-S-T-O-N. That's at L-B-H-U-S-T-O-N on Twitter. Love to hear your feedback. We're continuing to work through the microphone issues and some of the capture issues. Thanks for bearing with us on that. And uh, with that said, uh, we're over and out. Until next time, stay safe out there.